in there, perform and deliver. Respect, last count, Corda. It will be one sentence and I am responding. What a load of spin and nonsense. He has only challenged my personality and pointed out my gender. And cop on a small bit, Taoiseach. Welcome to the Polling Station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a bit easier to grasp. This week we are going to discuss, I guess this topic has been the biggest news story of the last two weeks and anticipate that it will be for quite some time is the current conflict or ongoing conflict between Palestine and Israel. Yeah, this is a highly complex issue. People spend their entire careers, you know, you have academics and people who, you know, journalists who are based in Jerusalem and so on who cover the story. So we're trying to make it as accessible for for our listeners because it's a highly contentious political issue. And it's just trying to make it simple because there are a lot of people who are aware of what's going on in Israel and mm-hmm. Palestine and some are not because there's a lot of history and there's a lot of for a lot of people it's not a straightforward issue and there's a lot of complexities and that we're going to try our very best to break down and kind of make it more that you have a better grasp of what is going on and kind of where it all came from. Yeah exactly like we're gonna talk a little bit about what led to the escalation of violence that we just have seen. Now there currently is a ceasefire in operation so we're going to talk about the days of absolutely just horrific violence that happened give you a brief history on kind of what led to these tensions why there are these tensions between Israel and Palestine kind of the international response on what the international community has thought about this and then what can we expect from the ceasefire what are the next steps uh what does the future look like for Israel and Palestine so like Neve said very complex issue people spend their whole lives studying it but yeah hopefully we're going to try and give an overview for you guys that you can then go and feel empowered I guess to learn more about the topic so yeah I guess we'll kick off from what led to the just like awful like 11 days of fighting more than 11 days that we saw recently in which um like the death toll like we'll never really know it's estimated that 212 people in the Gaza Strip have been killed, 10 people in Israel have been killed and unfortunately there's also been children in that um, death toll. Like those numbers will never I guess know the actual figure but I guess even one death is absolutely horrific. The fighting kind of is between Hamas which is the kind of militant group in Gaza and then Israel, the state of Israel and yeah, it's kind of all relates to Israel's half-century military occupation and ever-deepening grip on Palestine. And kind of this anger has always been there. It's been simmering below the surface kind of constantly. And it all kind of reached a climax in the last few days. Yeah, and essentially, it's always been there. Like Amy said, like this has been going on for for decades now. So I think the reason why it's kind of escalated to the horrific violence and the unnecessary deaths that occurred is essentially within within the last month there were two separate occasions that kind of built up to this the first was the end of ramadan which is well-known religious holiday that's celebrated by muslims you know palestine is a muslim majority country arab majority country so of course people who participate or subscribe to the islam religion they're going to practice it as any other person of any other faith would and they were celebrating near a mosque and basically Israeli police came along and said, no, you're not allowed to. Now, 
obviously people are like, oh, it's COVID times, it's not. But it was just like mm-hmm. every, like everyone's been praising Israel because they have 63% of the population vaccinated. However, only 5% of Palestine is, according to new data that was released within the last few days or so. So that was kind of one thing. Muslims in Palestine were not, they were not given the, you know, the freedom to practice their religion mm-hmm. and, as anyone else would in any other democratic country so that was one thing that escalated tensions because israel is a jewish majority country so this is where people see a lot of the tensions um yeah and i suppose as well especially in jerusalem it's it's seen as between the three main monolithic religions so islam christianity and judaism jerusalem is a a very sacred place in all of them so i suppose you know everyone has the the right to congregate and so on so of course it's going to hold something very special for each different religion so that's the one thing we had the other incident that happened which a lot of people would have seen is the issue with Sheikh Jahara and essentially there was Palestinians who'd been living there their whole lives and Israeli settlers had come in to live in Sheikh Jahara and they were then buying up properties and developments and kicking out Palestinians who'd been living there their whole life but mm-hmm. there had been this agreement when uh, the state of Israel was formed and a lot of you know Palestinians left there and Israeli settlers came in and it's happened decades later that Palestinians are being thrown out of their own homes and there's been a number of court cases leading up to it and then within the last few weeks or so there's now a Supreme Court due to happen of whether the Palestinians Mm -hmm. can stay or can the Israeli settlers the ones who are you know taking over their properties do they have a right to do that and I suppose they were the two main events that kind of led to the tensions like those two main events like you said they're neither kind of against this like backdrop that um, in March 2020 there was like an Israeli election that kind of further I guess emboldened the Israeli far right and that kind of was bringing uh, a party of Jewish like nationalism I guess allied with the current prime minister Benjamin Netanyahu into parliament and then on the Palestinian side there was a decision by Mahmoud Abbas who is the leader of the kind of I guess semi-autonomous Palestinian authority uh, quite unpopular in Palestine to postpone the planned election that kind of has added further frustrations to the Palestinians who last time that they went to like vote was in 2006 which is a very long time so there's kind of these increasing tensions in the background married with these two events of people not being able to practice Ramadan and and attend their evening prayers and then with this really court case this court case the Supreme Court ruling was meant to happen on Monday the 3rd of May and on the same day there was this big parade planned for Israeli nationalists that they were meant to march through Muslim neighborhoods in the old city of Jerusalem to kind of celebrate Israel's capture of the city of Jerusalem in 1967. And that was cancelled amidst the rising tensions. The court case was postponed and everything like that. But uh, unfortunately, it was too late and it all kind of escalated into missiles being fired. First was fired from Hamas to Israel and then Israel responded um, with a lot a a significant amount of missiles a lot more I think as well as a lot of the commentary with regards to Israel-Palestine is the involvement of America as well and look we'll get into that later but I kind of like to go into the history of like what it was like Mm. you know both Palestine and Israel Israel is a relatively new state and like I said this is going Mm -hmm. back decades Mm -hmm. after World War One Britain took control of Palestine after the Ottoman Empire kind of was gone crumbled yes and Basically, the land then in Palestine was inhabited by a Jewish minority and an Arab majority. And then kind of the tensions began to grow quite a lot um, when the international community kind of decided that Britain would give a national home in Palestine 
for Jewish people. You know, mm-hmm. and for the Jews, mm-hmm. it's their ancestral home, but you know, Palestinian Arabs also claimed it, it was their land and they opposed, you know, the actions taken by the international community. So then between like the 1920s and 40s, we saw a lot of Jews arriving in Palestine, you know, especially as well, like during that time in, in Europe in particular, we had obviously World War II, the Holocaust. There was a huge wave of anti-Semitism and then the Holocaust, which was the genocide of the Jewish people that like they were kind of seeking going towards to kind of flee from the persecution that they were seeing in Europe and that kind of obviously the big influx uh, between uh, Jews and then the Arabs against the British rule that was still ongoing there led to violence and kind of growing and growing tensions. And in 1947, the UN actually voted for Palestine to be split into a Jewish and an Arab state. And then Jerusalem would remain as an international city. Like you were saying, Eve, it's of like, like so much significance for so many people of so many different faiths that they wanted to keep that as an international city. Uh, and the plan was accepted by Jewish leaders, but it was rejected by Arab leaders and it was actually never implemented. And in 1948, kind of unable to resolve the problem, the British rulers left and they basically were like sorted out there between yourselves lads and the Jewish leaders declared um, the creation of the Israel state so that was Israel was only created in 1948 which is less than art which is you know oh very young exactly so it's still a very new state and then essentially like once the state of Israel was created this kind of led to a war because there were so many objections from the Palestinian side mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. and then there's like hundreds of thousands of Palestinians then had to flee or they were forced out yeah it was like they had to fl- flee all their homes and they were like forced out their homes and it's like kind of referred to in the Arab community there as al Nakab, which means the kind of catastrophe um, so it was like a really deeply traumatic event where they had to kind of flee their homes due to the Israeli, I guess, uh, occupation. Yeah. And there's just kind of like this really vitriolic, like anger and violence. And it just it never seemed to, to leave. There was never even a peace agreement. You know, both sides were blaming each other. Jewish families claimed they had lost land in, you know, Sheikh Jahar, as we were talking about earlier. We have another war then again in 1967 in which Israel occupied East Jerusalem and the West Bank, as well as most of the Syrian Golan Heights and the Egyptian Peninsula. So most Palestinians, Mm -hmm. refugees and their descendants who lived in Gaza and the West Bank had never been allowed to return to Israel or to their homes because Israel said this would overwhelm their country and threaten its existence as a Jewish state. So also like under Israeli law, Jews who can prove pre-1948 they can claim back their Jerusalem uh, properties. Which is what we were referring to in that they were trying to claim the Sheikh Jahara neighborhood. So that's exactly what that was an operation that they were claiming that this was their land before. Yeah, so this is the whole, like Palestinians then can't place where they've grown up. They're being told, well, this is not your land. Yeah. And I think as well, like it's very, when people get caught up in the Israeli-Palestine conflict, you see a lot of, Sometimes this can kind of give segue to a lot of anti-Semites, which is never toleration, never is. But I think people can be critical of the Israeli government versus the Jewish people living in Israel, because there's a huge difference to what, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu is doing to what the everyday Israeli person is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, like literally what you're saying, Eve, like the majority religious denomination in a country is like not reflective of like the government even if they do use the ideologies of that and kind of like 
promote themselves as being a part of that religion. There are people in Israel that are of the Christian faith, that they are of Buddhist faith and so on, and Palestinians as well. There are people who subscribe to different faiths that live within Palestine. So yeah, absolutely. It's like important to bear in mind when like talking about Israel and Palestine that you can be critical of government's moves without being critical of a religious faith. Exactly. And like, I think as well, when people, and you often hear it, especially in US and in US politics and their discourse, people who are critical of the Israeli government are then seen as Mm anti-Semitic. But that is just not the case. And I think coming from Ireland as well, we probably do have a different perspective in that. But I just think as well, like there is a bit of a dangerous narrative or discussion. I think if anyone saw a New York Times advertisement of Bella and Gigi Hadid, who obviously, you know, their dad, he is a Muslim and Dua Lipa as well. They came out and condemned the actions of the Israeli government. And then they got essentially Blasted. the New York Times. Yeah. And the New York Times, you know, would be considered one of the more liberal publications in America. But they are still they were exactly like Amy said, like lambasted for their support of, you know, the Palestinian people. And like, mm-hmm. I think it's just very people have to be like no sane person ever promotes anti-Semitic, any sort of hatred or discriminatory language. Mm -hmm. But you also can't refute the, the killings that are going on and of innocent Palestinians and of innocent Israel. And I think it's just when you look at the figures, it's just, it's, it's, you have to. It's murky. And in in the same breath, like people have been, you know, people who have come out in like defense of Palestine or saying that Palestine needs help. A lot of people have been condemned for saying that because of kind of anti-LGBTQI laws that exist within Palestine. And again, it's in the similar vein that you can be very critical of our government, you know, laws around that and not upholding human rights of people. But in the same breath, if the people who live within that country are under attack and they're in a humanitarian crisis, then you need to intervene and support where you can. Yeah. And I suppose as well, like just going back, like Ireland has been one of the very few Western countries. I don't even know if Western, but you know, especially EU and kind of, yeah. yeah. Who has been, I don't know about the last two weeks, but definitely in the past, we've had a history of supporting Palestine. You know, like in the 1960s, Ireland was quite concerned about the fate of Palestinians refugees following, you know, the Six Day War in 1967. And the former foreign minister, uh, Frank Aiken, you know, described it as one of the main and most pressing objective of Ireland's Middle East policies. And then again, in the 1980s, we, we were one of the first countries within the EU to endorse the establishment of a Palestinian mm-hmm. state. And then again in 2011, and then in 2011, Ireland accorded the Palestinian delegation in Dublin diplomatic status. So then a few months later, their foreign affairs minister stated that Ireland would lead the charge in recognising a Palestinian statehood, that it would not come until the PNA was in full and sole control of its territories. Mm -hmm. So like, it's a lot more than what other countries are doing. And I think as well, people have even seen the clip of Richard Boyd Barrett, you know, the people for Prophet TD going around about him back in 2014. He, like the people before Prophet are one of the most vocal parties with regards to Palestine and the supporting of, you know, them having their own statehood and so on, and especially the violent tactics done taken by the Israeli mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. So, whereas not, that's not seen as 
as much as much yeah and even there was a meeting of all the foreign ministers for the eu and simon coveney who is our foreign minister he came out very vocally that you know the eu needs to intervene and needs to be very much you know intervene for the state of palestine to make sure that its citizens are okay and yeah i guess like you were saying eve like i guess it's probably ireland's own history with occupation and again like this is kind of the history of israel and palestine is very much a history of occupation we have an understanding of that and our own occupation was kind of had religious elements to it as well so i think it is something that we definitely do understand and yeah it's probably why we were one of the we were the first european um member state to come out and endorse the Palestine state and kind of in regard to the latest attacks the ambassador uh, for the mission of the state of Palestine here in Ireland told the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs Committee that Ireland should use its membership in the UN Security Council to put pressure on Israel and in the same way that when New Zealand was on the UN uh, Security Council in 2016 they put pressure on Israel when coming to like a resolution for the condemning of Israeli settlements that were being built on the West Bank. So they were saying that Ireland should use its similar leverage to do that. And we even saw like, because obviously we're in a very privileged position to have a seat on the UN Security Council, but the, you know, Ireland has been calling for meetings, but the US has just not been cooperating as such, which is just... And I I think the US is like the flip of Ireland in what they, I guess, what they kind of, their history is with this conflict. Yeah, exactly. It's it's slightly confusing with certain, especially I suppose with democratic presidents, because especially, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu, he's a very far right and Mm. very much like extremely conservative. So it would have made sense for, you know, former President Trump to be closely aligned because of they're both of, you know, the far right conservative ideology, but someone like Barack Obama, who would have been like center left, more moderate and Joe Biden, if you were to go by his policies, slightly more progressive than Obama's, but all the presidents, even back to Bush, like they're all very much in line with each other and their support for Israel, despite their ideologies. And I think what we've seen well, I suppose anyway, just to even before get what we've seen, I suppose like this is like the US has been supporting Israel back as far as, you know, President Truman, like he came in and just after when FDR passed away, like this is World War Two. So he's been supporting them since 1948. And the reason why Truman decided to unequivocally support Israel was that a former business partner of his, Edward Jacobson, had played a vital role in laying the groundwork in the US for recognizing as a US state. So there was kind of strategic elements of it as well. The Middle East with its oil reserves, this was to be a key, you know, for the US and, you know, yeah. getting access to that oil. And so obviously that's not their whole whole basis, but it is obviously, it, you're going to, you know, you're going to. As always with international politics, there's always an economic element to it. And that it was exactly. economically advantageous for the US to have these ties. Yeah. And Israel is as well. They are the largest cumulative recipient of US foreign aid since post-World War II era. And like in 2016, Barack Obama had signed a defense agreement with Israel providing $38 billion in US military support over 10 years. This is why I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. are saying Israel, it's an unbalance because Israel had the backing of one of the richest countries in the world with one of the biggest military and defense budgets. And that is being funneled into the Israeli government where the Palestinian government does not have access to such weapons. And therefore, that's why when you look at the numbers of the destruction, Mm -hmm. it's much higher on the Palestinian side. 
No, I think like what you said there, Neve hit the nail on the head that Israel does have such a advantage over um, Palestine due to the backing of the uh, US. And yeah, that kind of really just has continued and continued. And in the President Trump in his administration, he moved the American embassy to Jerusalem and very much, you know, like in a very clear move that he openly supported the Israel state and didn't really acknowledge the state of Palestine. And the majority of the US Congress, both Democrat and Republican, are openly pro-Israel, um, like um, the House Representative Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She um, actually came out with when this all kicked off, kind of she was asked to comment on it. She said, and I quote, that Hamas is threatening the security of the people in Israel. Israel has a right to defend itself. So very strong there, very strong there. It's kind of, you have a lot of like the big heavyweights of American politics in Israel's corner and Palestine point of view, it's kind of left to the wayside in the sense that like, it's mostly been represented by the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee that was founded in 1980. Um, And there's been like a US campaign for Palestinian rights. Like that was an activist network that was formed in 2001. But in terms of like, who are the heavyweights in politics that are backing it, the people that people will be most familiar with is Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, both former Democratic nominations for presidents. Uh, They have openly called multiple times for conditioning of US military aid to Israel on Palestine human rights, which basically means that they're like, listen, if Israel is using the aid, the military aid that we are giving them to in basically inflict pain and stop the human rights of the citizens of Palestine like no let's stop that like and let's make that a condition of it and then yeah there's obviously like loads of new kind of people in, in the house of representatives yeah. that are kind of coming into it like the new waves the, of democrats the squad the, the squad, squad essentially Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib they were the two first you know American Muslim women mm-hmm. and especially like and Ilhan Omar was reprimanded quite heavily by Nancy Pelosi for comments she had made about Israel within her first term as a congresswoman. And then I think as well, like Rashida Tlaib, this is very close to her because she is a Palestinian American as well. And it was only like just about a week ago, she she was on the House, you know, the House of Congress speaking about this, about her experience, and this is what she had to say. I want to read something a mother named Iman in Gaza wrote two days ago. She said, quote, tonight I put the kids to sleep in our bedroom so that when we die, we die together. And no one would live to mourn the loss of another one. The statement broke me a little more because of my country's policies and funding will deny this mother's right to see children live, her own children live without fear and to grow old without painful trauma and violence. We must condition aid to Israel on compliance with international human rights and end the apartheid. We must, with no hesitation, demand that our country recognize the unconditional support of Israel has enabled the erasure of Palestinian life and the denial of the rights of millions of refugees and emboldens the apartheid policies that Human Rights Watch has detailed thoroughly in their recent report. So, like, that's her experience and her and, like, the squad, so her... Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, and then you have the you know, the other newcomers like Cory Bush. They're all very much kind of very much taking the pro-Palestinians stance along with Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. But again, they're being called anti-Semitic for what they're doing. And I think as well, there there was a very interesting discussion. I know I will talk about this to Bush 
if you watch American politics and you want to see the commentary, watch the view. And there was just a really interesting one where Meghan McCain, she is a conservative, but she she has even gone on to call herself a Zionist. And there was a discussion about how a Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene had made comments with regarding to wearing masks similar to the Holocaust. And there was a discussion on air between the women with regards to how Marjorie Taylor Greene's co- comments were not taken with the same severity as what Ilhan Omar said about Israel, you know, in which she criticized is- uh, Israel. And I think as well, like, you know, even though Meghan McCain, she's not a Jewish woman herself, it got very heated saying that, you know, that they don't address anti-Semitic issues and that what Marjorie Taylor Greene almost being equivocal, like that you could take one crazy woman on the right and you're not listening to the crazy woman on the left. So yeah. it's just if you're pro-Palestine in America, people will just... Say you're from what the media says yeah that's and what the media is portraying and even the fact that that's like a, a narrative that's really obvious in the media is like very worrying and i guess like that narrative kind of fails to acknowledge the profound advantages that the Israeli state has over palestine when it whether it's like military power or wealth or resources that they have and it kind of turns a deaf ear to the crisis that's been going on in Gaza, like the ongoing humanitarian crisis that has only been made worse by COVID just because they have lack of access to resource, the annexation of the West Bank that we saw kind of, you know, with the settlements happening. And it's just literally, like you said, Neve, that it's like these calls, at least from some people, if you critique the actions of the Israeli government, that you are anti-Semitic, which is, you know, really dangerous rhetoric. It is. And I just think as well, you'd hope that people would be more listened to it like I know I just mentioned it earlier but like Meghan McCain said oh this is Corbynism fully coming to has fully come to America because obviously you know people when Jeremy Corbyn was leader of the Labour Party in the UK there was a lot of issues that you know people within the Labour Party that there was a lot of allegations of anti-Semitism within the Labour Party mm-hmm. and people said that because Jeremy you know Jeremy Corbyn had been like throughout his political career at protests with regards to Palestine and boycotting goods you know B- the BDS movement which was boycotting goods you know produced I mean, in Israel and he had but regardless of like there was like a huge and it's been proven an anti-Semitic vein within the Labour Party in the UK but Jeremy Corbyn himself was kind of targeted for being anti-Semitic and the examples of him being pro-Palestine were pointed to prove this and that's like because mm-hmm. of course anti-Semitism exists and is prominent you know in this world and that is a very very serious issue but like to use that as a way to stop people from criticizing the Israeli government is is as dangerous well not as dangerous it is dangerous it's dangerous yeah yeah and I suppose like you said Amy now like we have the ceasefire Mm -hmm. now so we're kind of hoping that this will bring an end to this I think like because if anyone saw like uh, what it was like for the children on the ground I think everyone saw the clip of the the young 10 year old girl who said we're just being bombed every day mm-hmm. she's like I want to help my people like there's huge devastation that we will never be able to fully understand no. what it's like um and you're kind of hoping it's going to stop because the only you know test center for covid like that was bombed in gaza like there's so many things like gaza is such a tiny strip of land that so many people inhabit and like even like they're like water and everything was destroyed you know water supplies like obviously hospitals and everything like even the people that so many people died in this like devastation of the missiles but more people are going to potentially die from the aftermath of it and the devastation it's done to the region I think like anyone who's been on social media for like the past two weeks is it's very well documented just like the absolute 
terror that the the, the people in Gaza went through because of these um air, like airstrikes basically. So I think the the point is, is like you 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 would hope a ceasefire would work. I mean, obviously it's you know if we're going to compare it to Ireland, you know when we saw in the height of the troubles that they were you know the ceasefires they had to do a few, but it eventually did after you know decades of violence and unnecessary mm-hmm. death it came so you kind of hope this can be the start of it and international intervention the way you know bill clinton was an instrumental figure in coming in but you'd hope that obviously you'd have more than just the us because obviously they are going in with the bias but you'd have an equal sides of different international communities mm-hmm. coming along and helping both states both people so that there's no more bloodshed absolutely and like obviously the ceasefire was announced and both sides have you know said that they're going to stop fighting and there's no time period been put on it there's very few public details about you know the ceasefire and like how it happened what negotiations were now regional powers like egypt were involved as well as the u.s and the united nations um and yeah, like it's kind of you've different rhetoric coming out. Like Israel's um Benjamin Netanyahu, who's prime minister, he kind of issued a statement saying that Israel had agreed to a mutual and unconditional stopping of the hostilities. But then a Hamas leader told the BBC that Israel had agreed to lift their hands off the mosque that was occupied in a East Jerusalem, so one of Islam's um, holiest sites. Um, and then, of course, the nearby district of Sheikh Shahara, where there'd obviously been you know, the dispute of settlement, but this was completely denied by the Israeli uh, government. So even within that, like it, it comes down to when the history, the very brief overview history that we discussed between the two states, it's always just kind of, it's never getting to the root of the problem, which is the occupation and the dispute over territories. This ceasefire is, it's those tensions are always going to be brewing under the surface and there is always going to be a possibility for it, it, it to happen again because of these tensions as conceded by the two conflicting messages coming out from uh, the two states. And all we can do then, like for people who are in Ireland and in other countries who want to learn more and, you know, help people, I suppose, listen and educate ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think John Oliver, you know, he's on Last Week Tonight over in the US on HBO. He, I thought he had a very set, like well-rounded view on it, essentially saying that what's being done is horrific on both sides, but there was more support and, you know, defence stacked on one side you have to look at it like no one's no one is saying that the the killings from Hamas is right no one is saying that but just there is a clear advantage to one Mm -hmm. and here's a lesson of what exactly he had to say there is a lot to unpack there from the horror of the situation which has escalated significantly since then to the use of the phrase tit for tat war in a conflict where you just pointed out one side has suffered over 10 times the casualties something which speaks to both the severe power imbalance at play here and how that often gets obscured by how we choose to talk about it. This isn't tit for tat. There is a massive imbalance when it comes to the two sides' weaponry and capabilities. While most of the rockets aimed toward Israeli citizens this week were intercepted, Israel's airstrikes were not. They hit their targets, including a house in a refugee camp, a building housing the Associated Press and Al Jazeera, and this 13-storey office and apartment building. And while Israel insisted that there were military targets in that building and that they destroyed it as humanely as possible, even warning people to evacuate beforehand, for the record, destroying a civilian residence sure seems like a war crime, regardless of whether you send a courtesy heads-up text. 
Yeah, I think like echoing, I guess, that sentiment again, that it is, you know, very much like when it's stacked so unequally, you do need to look at it and see what can be done. And like, there's so many like issues just with the inequity, I guess, between Palestine and Israel, even like the after there was a conflict in 2014, where, you know, Israel went into Gaza and there was like violence there. And when the hostilities finally stopped, there was a thing that was called the Gaza Reconstruction Mechanism, which is basically um, allowing resources kind of to come into Gaza to help rebuild while also like, I guess, addressing Israel's security concerns that they of like it coming in and like that has been a disaster like nothing has been rebuilt in Gaza so literally the the region that was just undergoing the missile strikes one that was not able to rebuild after 2014 further devastated by further acts of war I guess and then also there's so many blockades in Palestine you know that's there's like internal blockades, which is like restricted of movements within the West Bank because there's like a lot of military checkpoints and that's reinforced by curfews. There's external blockades where that prevents Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip from entering Israel. And there's also restrictions that block Palestinians from moving between the West Bank and Gaza. So Palestinians can't even move between the two kind of biggest uh, Palestinian territories. And then there's international blockades where Israel has closed um, borders between the West Bank and Jordan. And it also stops ships from sailing into the Gaza ports. And then the the airport in um, Gaza was actually uh, destroyed in that 2014 conflict. And it hasn't been rebuilt. Even like the, the military power that Israel has because of the US backing, there's further inequity because of all these things that have happened upon generations and generations of this kind of fighting that's been going on. That like literally, like, like John Oliver said, like when it's sacked so unequally against one side there has to you have to acknowledge that and it just there's obviously so much that needs to be done but I think we need to start having conversations about like obviously there are plenty of academics Mm -hmm. out there who study Middle Eastern politics who study the Israeli-Palestine conflict there are other podcasts who look into this other documentaries and books you can read you know Noam Chomsky is a very well-known very well-known philosopher he's done quite a bit of work and detail on this and look if there are any questions look we're open as well like yeah or any information to like share on resources like if you are in the fortunate position that you can donate to any of the humanitarian aid that's desperately needed in Gaza at this time that'd be amazing if you know of any organizations that desperately need donations let us know we'll share them if you have like read a great book listen to a great podcast a great documentary like even a short documentary let us know and we can share it with everybody because like literally like you said dirty like it's all about like educating yourself learning about it and then like encouraging like Ireland is very clear in its Palestine stance and encouraging the international community you know to acknowledge the humanitarian crisis that's existing now and help both sides work towards a solution that is going to work for both of them because like very similar like we've been drawing parallels to Ireland this whole time but you know like similar to Ireland like it's all about what will work for the people that live within that region and that is the focus of it and what should always remain the focus of it and helping them just like facilitating conversation that will help them come to a conclusion or decision that works best for the people in those regions that's all for this week's episodes of the polling station don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at the polling pod and don't forget to tune in next week to listen to the next episode that's all for this week bye Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.